Hello and welcome everybody to today's end of year live stream. Glad to have you here. Just let me check really quick if all the tech is working so far. So if you can see and hear me loud and clear, um, yeah, feel free to say hello in the chat or just give me a thumbs up. Um, yeah, so that I know that you actually can see and hear me and you have the best experience possible. So what um, are we going to talk about today? Or um, yeah, what is today's topic? Um, I thought it might be interesting to um, yeah have a little or yeah, looking back uh, on the year 2021 to have a yeah, kind of review of the year. Um, I think it's always quite interesting um, yeah, looking back and rem remembering what actually happened during a year. Sometimes the time is um, yeah, passing so fast. So therefore, I want to talk um, with you about the different yeah, developments that we saw in technology, different developments that we saw on an economic level. Um, that I personally um, think are interesting or are relevant and um, yeah, are not only noise, but um, are actually relevant and worth thinking about. And um, yeah, I also uh, will try to have a little outlook uh, or maybe make some predictions um, what we will see or what I think we will see in the year 2022. Because I don't know about you, but um, yeah, I think last year around that time, um, we all had kind of the, I don't know, mentality or feeling or enough of the year 2020 with the kind of, yeah, maybe naive hope to um, yeah, start into 2021 and all the problems that we had back then um, would magically disappear. Of course, that didn't happen. Um, we maybe rather got some problems on problems on top. But um, yeah, we also saw some great achievements from people, from companies, from humanity in general, that um, yeah, I think is worth talking about. So um, yeah, if you can see and hear me um, right now, um, then I would appreciate if you can uh, yeah, write me that in the comment because I see uh, or I get the message from Victoria um, that you cannot see me on LinkedIn. Um, but the sound is good. So um, honestly, I don't know why that is the case. Um, I hope that um, yeah, my technology here will fix that soon and that you can actually see me. Um, if that's still a problem on LinkedIn, feel free to um, yeah, move over to the YouTube channel. Um, that's usually the best uh, yeah, place to get the live streams in the best possible quality um, because yeah, obviously LinkedIn has sometimes some problems. So um, yeah, if you go to my YouTube channel, just my name, Simon Küpper, then you should find me there and uh, yeah, hopefully the image is working there. Um, all right, it looks like um, 
So yeah, that's audio and video are working on YouTube. So um, yeah, maybe give me some feedback on LinkedIn if the video um, yeah, catch up or not. Otherwise, um, I would recommend to switch over to the YouTube channel. Um, where was I? Yeah, so um, feel free to um, also use the chat to share um, events, uh, yeah, achievements or whatnot that um, you found interesting, um, that you think is worth, worth talking about. And uh, then, of course, we will have a conversation around that. If you have any questions that um, you want to ask me, also use the chat, feel free to use the comment section and the chat function, and then we will have a conversation. And um, at least from a tech perspective, we should also be able to uh, yeah, invite guests and uh, yeah, have a conversation face to face and not only through the chat. So um, yeah, if that's something that you want to consider or think about to join me here and have a conversation and the end of year live stream, then um, yeah, feel free to write it in the chat or send me a message and then I will drop the link so that you can join the green room backstage. That being said, um, yeah, I hope now everybody um, that joined so far um, can see and hear me loud and clear. If not, please let me know. Um, again, YouTube channel is usually the best place to catch the experience. All right. So, um, yeah, I'm going to talk about uh, a lot of different topics and events today, again, from technology um, to economics um, to probably also some social and uh, maybe even some political stuff that um, are kind of intertwined with these topics, although I don't want to focus on uh, politics or anything like that today. Um, therefore, yeah, um, I hope you forgive me if I cannot touch on all the topics um, that might be relevant, that would just yeah, be too much for the format of this show. All right, to give you an idea what I want to talk about today, I want to talk about um, Starlink or more, uh, yeah, broader term satellite internet. I think that's especially from everybody listening um, or yeah, watching from the Caribbean right now, a very interesting topic. Um, I think the whole, yeah, well, I think 2021 was also really big year for crypto, for blockchain, for NFTs, for Web3. Um, if you want to call it that, um, meaning that kind of, yeah, reached now the, the mainstream and um, it's not only um, a niche um, topic anymore. Um, yeah, I think, um, again, that payment solutions uh, will also be a big um, or were a big topic, um, especially in the Caribbean. Um, this year, um, we will probably see the IPO of Stripe in the US next year, um, probably one of the biggest tech IPOs that we have seen so far and yeah therefore uh, Stripe will be then one of the bigger payment uh, solutions provider globally and yeah really attack the legacy uh, companies like Visa, MasterCard and so on. So we'll have a look at that. Um, then of course um, we will talk about one of the biggest social media platforms that changed their name. We will talk about Facebook or now how they call themselves um, Meta. Um, yeah, what that meant and what we can expect there. We'll talk or have a look at the 
yeah, perseverant landing on Mars, um, something that I think is, yeah, kind of um, underreported um, this year with all the other stuff that went on, but also a great technological achievement. Um, yeah, we also saw the kind of billionaire, billionaire space race, meaning um, yeah, we saw a lot of uh, people with a lot of money, Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, and so on, um, yeah, really starting the space tourism um, and yeah that's also a development um, that will probably make it into the history books um, that yeah started started basically with spacex and elon musk and now yeah, all the other billionaires follow up that space travel space exploration space tourism is no longer in the hands of governments um, but rather in the hands of private individuals or private organizations um, one of the yeah, news or, or something that uh, popped up rather recently, but I personally found super interesting. Also have a look at um, our Xenobots or rather um, yeah, artificial biological um, machines. Um, we'll have a look at that later. And um, yeah, also meaning, yeah, that is, uh, or we saw some developments in the, in the biotech uh, space and I think uh, yeah, over the next years we will see developments here meaning uh, yeah, more merging between technology technology on the one hand engineering and um, yeah, biomedicine uh, biotech on the other hand um, then yeah, again that uh, something that you maybe only heard of when you are in a very tech or cybersecurity niche but we will also have a look at the log 4j vulnerability one of the yeah, probably biggest cyber security threats or zero day exploits um, that we have seen over the past 10 years because it just affects everybody um, what else yeah that was more or that will be more the technological side i want to talk about um, i also want to have a look at the stock market uh, i will talk about inflation and inflation rates, um, the difference between um, yeah, consumer price index um, and uh, asset class or asset inflation. We'll talk about the interest rates, uh, what we have seen, what we'll probably see next year um, in the US and in the European Union. Of course, we will then also talk uh, about China, the economic uh, developments that we have seen there this year and what that means for next year, 2000. 22 and beyond and of course we'll also have a look um, yeah at central banks digital currencies that really yeah popped up um, and got implemented or minted uh, in multiple countries this year um, for the first time Jamaica is one of the first Caribbean um, countries is one of the first in that regard and of course, yeah, we will have a look at the global macroeconomics, meaning the supply chain um, situation. We will have a look at the energy crisis in Europe and China and yeah, what that can mean from a geopolitical standpoint. So we have a lot of topics um, to talk about today. I have some video clips uh, prepared that um, yeah, will just give you quick uh, yeah, recaps or a quick introduction into the um, relevant topics. And uh, yeah, I hope 
that uh, helps you or helps everybody to catch up, although we will probably jump uh, from topic to topic. All right, that being said, um, again, if you have any questions, any topics you want to talk about, feel free to use the chat. Um, I hope that um, the problem on LinkedIn is solved right now and everybody can hear and see me loud and clear. And again, if not, feel free to uh, yeah, switch over to the YouTube channel. Just type in my name, Simon Küpper, and then you should find it. All right. Um, so I want to start um, yeah, with my first topic or the first interesting thing that I think um, happened this year because it kind of matched up with one of the predictions that I um, made in another live stream. Therefore, um, yeah, here comes the first clip for today's um, yeah, review. And uh, yeah, we have a look at uh, Facebook uh, or how they call themselves today, Meta and the Metaverse. And here comes the clip. I think in the next five to 10 years, it will be quite normal that we have um, yeah, virtual gatherings in virtual spaces or in augmented spaces, meaning we will sit on a, yeah, in a virtual room with our headset on, or I don't know, I'm wearing glasses, maybe that will be integrated um, in, a, yeah, in glasses, hopefully. And uh, yeah, we will look to the right and we will see the person right next to us, although there is nobody sitting, but we will see it in our virtual reality. We will look next, uh, or yeah, you get um, you get the idea. Or maybe in a private environment, uh, maybe yeah, when you or at the next Christmas, everybody has a neck as an VR um, goggles on, and that's how you meet your family. I don't know, but um, when we look at the media and entertainment industry, especially in the gaming industry, for example, um, two, three years ago, AR, VR was yeah, basically not a thing. And now we see step by step um, yeah, that this technology um, is used more and more. Over time, I hope that we are seen as a metaverse company. And I want to anchor our work and our identity on what we are building towards. We just announced that we are making a fundamental change to our company. We are now looking at and reporting on our business as two different segments. One for our family of apps, and one for our work on future platforms. And as part of this, it is time for us to adopt a new company brand to encompass everything that we do. To reflect who we are and what we hope to build, I am proud to announce that starting today, our company is now Meta. Today, we're going to talk about the metaverse. I want to share what we imagine is possible. Yeah. The experiences you'll have, the creative economy we'll all build, and the technology that needs to be invented as well as how we're going to all do this together. You're here. The next platform and medium will be even more immersive. Like a shop. Some call it skill. He talked. 
an embodied internet where you're in the experience, not just looking at it. And we call this the metaverse. The metaverse. The metaverse. All right, perfect. Boy. <laughs> oh, hey, Mark. Hey, what's going on? Hey, Hi. Mark. What's up, Mark? Whoa, we're floating in space? Uh-huh. Who made this place? It's <laughs> awesome. Right? It's from a crater. I met in L.A. Uh, this place is amazing. <laughs> Boz, is that you? Of course it's me. You know I had to be the robot, man. <laughs> I thought I was supposed to be the robot. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I knew you were bluffing. <laughs> hey, wait. Where is Naomi? Let's yes. call her. Naomi. Hey, should we deal you in? Sorry, I'm running late, but you've got to see what we're checking out. There's an artist going around Soho hiding AR pieces for people to find. 3D street art? That's cool. Send that link over so we can all look at it. This is stunning. Okay, that is something. That's awesome. Wow. I love the movement. Wait, it's, it's disappearing. This is amazing. Hold on. I'll tip the artist and they'll extend it. Wow. Brilliant. If you guys like it here, I have another room that you're going to love. Check out this forest room. Huh, let's see it. Koi fish that fly? That's new. This is wild. Hey, one sec, Boz. It's Priscilla. Hey, you have to see this. Beast is going crazy. Oh, I love that guy. We've got to show that to the kids. Can you also send that to my dad? I'll message him. All right, see you at home. This place is great, Boz, but there's something i got to get back to. All right. Um, yeah, that was Facebook or Meta's um, yeah, introduction of the metaverse, and uh, yeah, hopefully gives you a little idea what they planning um, yeah, doing and uh, all the vision that they have. Um, honestly, I don't really use uh, Facebook or any of the uh, Meta um, apps, um, generally speaking, and uh, I haven't used um, any of the technology that you saw in the clip right now, uh, meaning yeah, of the VR headsets or the Oculus. But uh, what I have heard so far, um, yeah, it's really the case that especially, of course, the younger generation um, uses AR, VR technology more and more. And therefore, um, yeah, Facebook uh, or Meta kind of um, tries to be one of the first ones uh, in that, at that uh, frontier, of course, um, they bought Oculus um, as a VR headset uh, producer a few years ago. And um, yeah, I'm excited and worried at the same time uh, to see how that is going to play out. Uh, kind of reminds me of the one movie, uh, Ready Player One. But um, yeah, interesting, promising, and uh, will definitely be part um, of our lives uh, yeah, over the next years and uh, yeah funny that i made that uh, prediction just a few months before yeah mark zuckerberg um, announced these changes and that they really want to focus um, more on that type of technology so um yeah to recap we will see i think more um yeah, more changes um, in the social media landscape and the technology landscape. Uh, generally speaking, yeah, moving to Web3, uh, moving into metaverse, into more and more virtual um, realities. Um, again, there are probably a lot of VR headsets um, 
under the Christmas tree this Christmas. So we will see how this is going to develop over the next years. But um, especially for my Caribbean listeners, um, you know how important it is to have a fast and stable internet connection to actually use and access these services. And uh, yeah, that's often not the case um, on a lot of Caribbean islands or especially in rural areas. And uh, yeah, therefore, if you are a subscriber of my newsletter, you know that I am yeah, following the Starlink uh, company or the satellite uh, internet company of Elon Musk uh, quite closely for the last few years, because I just think it's a very promising technology and uh, yeah, just the idea of having global, fast, uh, high-speed internet that is uh, available on every part of the planet, um, I think is a, yeah, girth, a goal worthwhile pursuing. Therefore, um, yeah, if you haven't heard yet about Starlink, um, what they do, how they work, here comes um, a short explainer video about Starlink and uh, yeah, the plans for the next years and how it's going to work. You're looking at 60 satellites hurtling into the sky. And over the next few decades, Elon Musk is hoping to send 42,000 of these satellites to space, 15 times the number of operational satellites in orbit today. It's part of Starlink, the expansive constellation from Musk and SpaceX that hopes to bring the world low-latency, high-speed internet, promising no more buffering and nearly instantaneous internet in every corner of the world. But experts worry it may come at a hefty cost for space exploration. Nearly half of the world's population does not have access to the internet, because most internet options require an extensive track of costly underground cables, leaving many rural locations offline. And while satellite internet can reach those areas, Traditional satellite internet is provided by a bus-sized spacecraft that has launched 22,236 miles into space in orbit around Earth. That distance means the satellite can reach places that cables can't. But since that one satellite is meant to service a lot of people, its data capability is limited, which then limits connection speeds. And that signal has to travel a long way, creating a lot of lag. This is where Elon Musk and SpaceX come in. Starlink is a globe encircling network of internet beaming satellites that is trying to get you online no matter where you are in the world. And there's a rather persuading element for SpaceX as well. Elon Musk has said he's just trying to grab a small percentage of a trillion dollar a year telecommunications industry around the world. If SpaceX can pull this off, the company could net about 30 to $50 billion a year. Musk and SpaceX president Gwynne Shotwell say that much money could single-handedly fund the development of Starlink, Starship, and SpaceX's Mars launch infrastructure. As of early October, SpaceX has launched more than 700 satellites into orbit, with a plan to release a total of 12,000 over the next five years, half of them by the end of 2024. And Musk wants to add another 30,000 to that, coming to a total of 42,000 satellites circling Earth. All of these satellites will also be much closer, anywhere from 200 to 400 miles above the planet in low Earth orbit. This reduces the connection delay that is found with traditional internet satellite. Once in orbit, these Starlink satellites will be constantly on the move, which is why so many are necessary. 
The problem is you have to have many satellites orbiting to make up for the fact that you can't stay in one spot above the Earth because they, you need several satellites overhead at any one time to cover many users. Every satellite will connect with several others via laser beams, creating something like the network's backbone. And to actually bring this internet into your home, you'll need to get a pizza-sized antenna. This phased array antenna can aim its beam at whatever satellite is overhead, which will maintain an internet signal in your home. But this scheme isn't without problems. Starlink satellites are bright. They reflect the sunlight and shine it back towards Earth, so they end up looking like bright, moving stars. As cool as it may look, that comes with problems. Starlink satellites are most visible in the night sky right before dawn and right after dusk, which is the exact time that astronomers are hunting for near-Earth objects or asteroids, uh, objects that could hit Earth and possibly harm us. And as more satellites go up, so does the likelihood that they'll interfere with astronomers' views. If Starlink continues to be a problem for these type of sky surveys, we may not have as much notice as we want to detect a near-Earth object and thwart it and prevent it from hitting Earth. Beyond detecting deadly asteroids, the wall of satellites could also obstruct the search for new planets or even black holes. SpaceX realized it had to do something, and it did. It created what's called a DarkSat, which is a satellite that has all of its shiny parts coated in a very black, dark material. It also tried adding visors to shield those shiny parts from the ground. But unless the satellites are cloaked like a spaceship in Star Trek, technology that does not exist, none of this will fully solve the problem. And even if it did, there is a much bigger issue at hand. There's a concern about space debris because when you have so many satellites in the closest, tightest, densest orbits around Earth, there's a higher chance that those satellites could collide with each other or with other satellites. Those crashes would create clouds of debris that can orbit the Earth for years, decades, or even centuries. And that debris can then disable or cause other satellites to crash into each other, creating even more debris. And this problem spirals out of control in an effect called the Kessler syndrome. And if we reach that, then essentially space is too unsafe to access. To be clear, the risk of a runaway Kessler syndrome is very low. But the potential impacts of that are so high that scientists are working very hard to control such an event from ever happening. SpaceX has said its satellites can automatically move out of the way to avoid collisions. But dozens of SpaceX satellites are already disabled and can't move at all, posing a potential threat. And those concerned with SpaceX's plans are lobbying the FCC to rein in the company and more strictly regulate low Earth orbit. And that could make it more expensive and harder to deploy the planned 42,000 satellites. But it doesn't stop at Starlink. Amazon's Kuiper project, OneWeb, China's Hanjian, and other projects are looking to challenge SpaceX by launching their own global networks of hundreds or thousands of satellites. If they all got their way with little to no regulation, we could end up with 100,000 satellites encasing our planet within the next 10 years, dramatically increasing the risk of blocking off space for everyone. So, Starlink, yeah, pros and cons. I think uh, that was a quick introduction into the more technical side of things. Um, so what I think when we look at yeah, 2021, um, that was probably the kind of beta testing here for Starlink. Um, it was yeah, literally every month you got a new update that service is now available in yeah, more countries, uh, that, the, that the service is more stable, faster, lower latency, and so on. Um, I think the yeah, price or the monthly 
price for um, the service uh, is roughly 100 US dollar. And I think the hardware set, the starter box or starter kit, uh, something around 500 um, US dollar. Therefore, although I think um, it can be a very promising technology for um, yeah, just rural areas in general, island nations, Caribbean and so on, um, I think that because of the higher price point, it will probably um, yeah, see the first applications on a more corporate level, meaning um, yeah, if you're running a company, a corporation in, uh, yeah, in the Caribbean or wherever in the world, uh, really, you need a stable and reliable internet connection. You need access to the internet, um, no matter you know, time, day or whatnot. And therefore, um, yeah, I think that these kind of companies or entities are probably the first ones that um, will utilize that service and use that as a maybe yeah, second um, access point or fallback option. And uh, then over the next years, we will probably see it yeah, soon as it reaches scale. And therefore, um, yeah, the price is hopefully going to drop. We will then see um, probably an adoption in the retail and the private uh, and end consumer markets more and more beginning yeah, or starting at the very rural areas where you do not have any other options and then yeah step by step filling the gaps and the holes over the next year um, but I think um, yeah that satellite internet as a technology um, will definitely be some of the things um, that will be more available in 2022 and more mainstream and um, again I hope that over the next years we will see availability increase and of course um, the price drop so that it's especially available for yeah, people that do not have otherwise access um, yeah, to a stable high-speed internet connection. All right, I want to talk about or yeah, one other thing um, that also happens uh, in space that I found uh, yeah, very interesting and uh, very encouraging and positive this year was the uh, yeah, Mars landing um, of NASA's uh, Perseverance uh, rover or I don't know, spacecraft, whatever you want to call that. Um, we saw different nations uh, yeah, launching their um, satellites and uh, whatnot into space this year. China's catching up um, and so on. Um, but again, I think um, the US um, and yeah, maybe Russia are still the, the leading um, nations when it comes to yeah, I don't know, space technology or space exploration. And um, yeah, if we thinking on a little more global or planetary scale for uh, our human race, I think it's always yeah, an interesting thought or a necessary goal to have uh, in mind to, okay, we only have this planet right now with all the trouble and change challenges that we have, climate change uh, and whatnot. But um, we also should think about the possibility to become yeah, a multi-planetary species. And of course, the, at least what we know right now, most suitable planet uh, for that would be Mars. And uh, yeah, I think we got a lot of new um, yeah, impressions, a lot of yeah, new data from um, that uh, event earlier this year. So therefore, 
here comes a short clip about uh, yeah, the highlights of NASA's uh, Perseverance landing in 2021. In the 10 months since the rover has landed, we've been busy, and it's been a year of perseverance. From operating during COVID to the challenges we experienced with sampling to interpreting the scientific results. It's such an appropriate name for the vehicle, but also for the team and the mission itself. This mission has a series of firsts that will help future generations understand more about our solar system. One of my favorite moments was seeing our first rock core sample, looking down the tube when it was still in the drill bit and confirming that it was indeed a success. Now that we've collected samples, everyone wants to know when and how they'll be coming back. We can't wait for the future mission to pick them up and ferry them to Earth to analyze if any of them show signs of ancient life. The first flight of a powered aircraft on another planet. Another highlight of this year was working with the helicopter team to deploy ingenuity and experience the first powered flight on another planet. It was so amazing to see the team adapt to the environmental changes in order to keep flying. The helicopter has become a real asset and partner to our science team. It feels great to be part of making history. What motivates us as engineers and scientists exploring another planet is the opportunity to continuously learn more. Now that we've toured the floor of Jezero Crater, we look forward to investigating the Delta, a part of the crater where a river fed into a lake in the distant past. It's almost as if we're starting a new mission because we'll start to cover new ground and make new scientific discoveries. What I'm most proud of is the team, how we operate the rover, overcome challenges, and the dedication that everyone brings to their job each and every day. All right. All right, so what do you think? Are we going to see a human on Mars during our lifetime? I don't know, um, I hope so. Would be um, for sure a great achievement. So, but enough about um, space, um, at least for now. I think, um, yeah, another great topic or technology, whatever you want to call it, um, that, at least from my perspective, really uh, yeah, reached the, the mainstream and the, the mind of the public um, in 2021 um, was everything around uh, blockchain, everything around crypto, everything about NFTs, Web3, Metaverse and whatnot, meaning, um, yeah, all these terms um, were probably 
unknown for um, yeah, a lot of uh, people out there, um, partially including myself. And um, yeah, I think when we, you know, 10 years from now, look back, um, maybe 2021 was really the, the starting point um, of a lot of these technologies where they you know, kind of got uh, yeah, more awareness in the, in the public mind. Um, more uh, yeah, regulators, more governments uh, really recognized uh, yeah, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin um, and uh, so on. Yeah, blockchain is now really a term that probably everybody heard at one point in time. And yeah, every bigger organization, company, government um, have their own uh, yeah, research teams um, to, to research and figure out how these new technologies can be implemented um, yeah, in our day-to-day -day life, how these technologies can make our life easier. And um, yeah, when you following me for some time, or especially when you're watching um, the YouTube channel, you probably um, yeah, know already that we had a few discussions, a few live streams about um, that topic in general on this channel over the last um, yeah, months. Um, meaning, yeah, we talked about blockchain, we talked about cryptocurrencies, we talked about NFTs um, and whatnot. And um, yeah, I think we will see that even more um, over the next years. And I really think that this can kind of become kind of also a very yeah, societal change, meaning um, yeah, blockchain as a technology, uh, Web3, um, really has the potential to yeah, disrupt uh, power structures, really put the, the power uh, back in the hands of the people or yeah, to democratize power. Um, but um, when we look at central bank digital currencies or what happens in countries like China with social credit scores and whatnot, that also can be misused. Um, therefore, I think it's super important for everybody, for you um, on a private level, um, but also on a yeah, business uh, and uh, strategic level to yeah, educate yourself and think about these topics. Um, yeah, so just to give you an idea or a feeling how crazy the whole uh, yeah, NFT, blockchain, crypto world uh, can be and uh, yeah, what that can mean for people, for artists, uh, for yeah, payment solutions and all of these areas. Um, you might be or you have uh, maybe heard about uh, yeah, people, the artist that um, sold his NFT um, collection or an NFT uh, at Christie's, one of the biggest auction uh, houses uh, globally, really, or one of the most, um, with the most renommé. I don't know how to translate that into English. Anyway, um, yeah, here comes uh, Beeple at the moment when he realized, uh, yeah, he just sold a digital piece of art for 69 million US dollars. So we are in my living room and we're watching the closing of the auction, which closes in an hour and 18 minutes. It's already at like a absolutely ridiculous amount.
influenced by the tools and influenced by the work of a bunch of people in the crypto community as well. Hey, Mike, this is Jason. I just want to say congratulations. You're at 25 million, 250,000. This is crazy, man. Jesus Christ, what the f- I think it probably means digital art is here to stay. I'm going to Disney World! <laughs> yeah, I think so too. Digital arts is probably here to stay. By the way, um, yeah, a few days, uh, weeks from now, I think at the 11th of January, we have a live stream also on this channel um, yeah, with two independent artists uh, who will share um, yeah, their experience um, yeah, how to be successful um, as an indie artist and um, we will for sure talk about yeah, the new and upcoming digital art nfts and so on so make sure to set a reminder and save the date again i would generally speaking recommend to subscribe to my youtube channel if you want to stay up to date and of course connect with me on linkedin if you haven't yet so far okay um yeah when we talk about uh, crypto or nfts uh, blockchain and whatnot it's also always a you know, security cyber security is always a big part um, of that especially when we're talking uh about it in a yeah in a finance uh, context um in a crypto currency context um and uh, whatnot but um, I think we need to be aware that um, yeah, most of the internet's infrastructure um, works on really old or partially really old legacy systems. Um, a lot of uh, yeah, software, a lot of code that runs in some of the biggest companies of the world is 10, 20, 30 years old, decades old, um, and yeah, hasn't been updated or is really hard to update and therefore um yeah if there is a vulnerability or a zero-day exploit in some of these um yeah, very fundamental systems uh, or software then uh, that can have really um yeah big implications and can be a yeah, really big risk for basically every device uh, every software and every company so um yeah again if you haven't uh, heard about it yet or if you haven't checked with your internal team yet what kind of implications that can have for your company i would recommend that you do that um, as fast as possible but um, yeah i'm not a cybersecurity expert by any means nonetheless um, yeah i want to give you a short uh, introduction into that so that you know what we are talking about and what you can do um, to uh, yeah, protect yourself um, as good as possible. So here comes the short introduction and a short recap about the yeah, maybe biggest cybersecurity threat vulnerability over the last 10 years. Courtney, that's right. This is Jen Easterly we're talking about. She's the director of CISA, which is the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. They're the chief defenders in the federal government defending against cyber attacks. This was her first chance to go on camera since that Log4j calamity went public last week. And what she had to say was a little bit alarming. Take a listen. The Log4j vulnerability is the most serious vulnerability that I have seen 
in my decades-long yeah. career. Everyone should assume that they are exposed and vulnerable and to uh, check and make sure that they're not vulnerable. Now, this vulnerability became public last week when everyone found out about it, but it actually dates back to 2013 when this flaw was introduced into open source software that was then copied in millions of other places and has now sort of gone viral in a software sense uh, to the point where it affects all these different systems. I asked Jen Easterly about the origin of this. Where did this thing come from? And I asked her if she knows who had their fingers on the keyboard and who was programming this code back in 2013 and what their intent was and this is what she said. I don't. I don't. So you don't know if this was an intentional vulnerability that was put into open source software or this is just an accident on the scale of like Y2K? Um, I, we don't know that yet. Again, there's a lot of work being done, not in my agency, to understand. But this is something that everybody should be concerned about, not because of where it came from, but because this is incredibly dangerous to everybody's business, everybody's networks, everybody's system. Now, Easterly told me that the Department of Homeland Security is looking into the backstory of this, and she expects that from her agency and others, we're going to learn a lot more about where this all came from in the weeks and months to come. But meanwhile, she said that CISA has posted on its website a list of different things that companies can do if they are concerned about this. There's a checklist there to go through and watch for your vulnerabilities and figure out how you can best patch your systems, because this is coming in from vendors and vendors of vendors and vendors of vendors of vendors. So there's a lot of complicated steps that need to be done now in order to make sure that you are not vulnerable she, to this guy. She used the phrase everybody. Does, does she mean everybody? She really means everybody. I mean, this is millions and millions of devices around the world. It's this common little piece of software that software programmers just cut and paste and add it into other kind of products, and it goes everywhere. Uh, it's just ubiquitous, and that's the problem. Yeah, you heard it. Um, I think we shouldn't underestimate that risk and shows even more um, that, especially if you're operating a company or an organization, you definitely yeah, need to have a digital strategy in place um, for yeah, not only 2022, but also for the next years um, to come. And of course, part of that has to be the yeah, topic cybersecurity, how do you protect um, your assets, how do you protect your data, your customers, uh, your IP, uh, your whole yeah, IT infrastructure and so on. Therefore, um, yeah, I think just a reminder and um, yeah, I always want to again keep reminding you that these are only the things um, that actually um, become public. Um, yeah, most of the risks um, that uh, you're facing in a cybersecurity environment today um, yeah, never really become public. Most hacks, most uh, data leaks um, take years to discover. Um, yeah, just and even from a yeah, if, if that happens on a governmental or intelligence level, um, think back it's yeah, 2012, 2013, when yeah, basically the, the NSA and the CIA got exposed with all these spy programs where they spied on their own um, yeah, population. So therefore, again constant reminder that uh, wherever you're dealing with tech, no matter it's in a private setting or um, in a business setting, you uh, yeah, have to have a digital strategy and you have to have a yeah, cybersecurity strategy or emergency plan in place.
All right, for so far, um, that's it pretty much about technology topics. Um, I think yeah, there are probably a hundred different developments um, that we could cover or talk about um, regarding yeah, technological developments that we have seen this year um, yeah, on the tech side, on the medical side and whatnot. But um, yeah, I want to keep it um, on that and now maybe want to talk a little bit more on yeah, the economic side of things, on the geopolitical side um, of things. So therefore, um, yeah, let me know in the chat, in the comment section, um, what other developments, technological achievements you found important um, this year, or maybe other um, yeah, economic situations that you found uh, or think are important and we should talk about and have an eye on for next year and the years to come. So um, let's talk a little bit more about um, economics. To um, yeah, be honest, from my point of view, my kind of gut feeling is that um, yeah, over the last one, two years, um, meaning in yeah, 2020 and 2021, um, although we saw a lot of problems with the pandemic um, yeah, on, a, on an economic uh, scale, logistics and whatnot, um, generally speaking, I think um, we as yeah, human species um, dealt kind of okay with it. Meaning, um, yeah, there were no major problems in terms of the stock markets didn't collapse, the financial markets um, didn't collapse. So yeah, we have to wait a little bit uh, for some goods and supplies and the energy got a little bit more expensive. Um, but all in all, um, yeah, I think the current numbers um, probably don't really reflect um, the yeah, real state of the of the world or what we will see over the last the next uh, the next years. Um, meaning, I think that yeah, we as a society, as an economy, um, probably kind of or countries in general, companies in general, kind of. Yeah, used all their their buffer um, that they have uh, in in any sense, in the financial sense, um, in the social um, sense, uh, in the infrastructure um, sense, and I think um, that in the yeah in two thousand twenty two uh, and the years to come, we will probably see um, yeah some of that breaking through. Meaning, um, I think we need to be aware. Um, or have an eye on the, on the stock market um, in general. Um, I think we will see changes um, in the interest rates um, because yeah, the, the central banks have to do something um, because of the inflation situation that we see on a global scale, meaning over the last yeah, literally 10, 15 years, um, we had a big inflation in asset prices, meaning stock markets um, were increasing, growing, or the prices were increasing, real estate um, become, became uh, more and more expensive and so on, meaning we already had an inflation, but that was primarily in an asset class uh, level and not so much on a consumer price um, level. And now over the last um, few months, um, I think yeah, we see it on a consumer price uh, index that is increasing in a lot of uh, countries, meaning yeah, just products and services of the 
yeah, that you need on a daily basis um, are becoming more expensive. And I think yeah, all that kind of backlog that we kind of accumulated over the last one or two years is now probably, or I think uh, at least at some points and in some areas breaking through next year. So, um, yeah, again, no matter if that's the stock market, um, the inflation rates, interest rates uh, in the US and the European Union, um, China's economy uh, in, in general, um, yeah, and, and the whole supply chain situation yeah, on, a, on a whole. So I think we really need to be aware and not feel too, too safe and too uh, comfortable because, uh, yeah, besides from staying at home, um, we didn't really have uh, yeah, bigger problems over the last um, two years. Although, yeah, I know that might sound kind of yeah, a little crazy uh, considering everything that is happening um, globally right now. But again, um, if we see it from a relative perspective, um, I think the world is still in pretty good shape. So therefore, um, yeah, I want to touch on a few topics that we have seen this year and that I think that can be some of the um, yeah, indicators um, for, for next year um, or the years to come from an economic um, standpoint. And again, um, the first um, yeah, thing I want to touch on is the yeah, developing real estate crisis in China. Um, yeah, it started with Evergrande as one of the biggest real estate real estate developers um, in China that, uh, yeah, at least uh, yeah, at this date of this recording, meaning at the 30th of December, um, yeah, uh, Evergrande defaulted on uh, multiple bond payments, also on foreign uh, bond payments. And uh, yeah, therefore, we don't really know what is going to happen there. But again, keep in mind that basically or almost every major economic or financial crisis over the last decades, or at least as long as we have data, um, was always kind of the real estate market um, involved. Meaning, no matter if we look back at uh, yeah, 2008 or other situations, um, it was often maybe not the primary reason, but at least one reason that we yeah, saw an overheating real estate market um, in certain countries that then collapsed and that then infected yeah, a lot of uh, credits, uh, yeah, credit that has to be defaulted, uh, that defaulted because of that, um, then a lot of financial institutions that got into problems and then it infected the whole um, economy. And of course, um, yeah, China is one of the world's biggest economies. Therefore, you know, every hiccup that we see there uh, can have effects on the rest of the world. So um, yeah, let's have a quick look at the Evergrande real estate crisis um, in China. Row upon row of unfinished buildings, rubble and cranes brought to a standstill. In the Evergrande Oasis complex near China's Luoyang city, construction is unlikely to start soon. It's causing anxiety among people who saw these empty shells as their future homes. When we bought the property, we also considered the fact that Evergrande had so many real estate developments all over the country. Now we are all worried about the delayed delivery and the project has stopped, so I came to find out about the situation. 
They told us that the financial situation is not good and that they have no money to give us back. Our building is finished, but the building over there is not built. What should they do? China's second biggest property developer has stopped projects while it scrambles to find money to pay lenders, suppliers and investors. It's left 600,000 apartments unfinished and 800,000 other construction companies and clients unpaid. Regulators say Evergrande's bill has now reached $305 billion. They start selling these apartments about two years before they deliver, so they get more funds and then they buy more land and they borrow more from banks. So it's like a snowballing. I think uh, as late as last year, when business fell, this snowball has become a little bit too big. 1,500 kilometers south in Shenzhen, protesters are chanting, Evergrande, return our money. On Monday, people gathered outside the headquarters, despite the heavy rain. Some stormed the building. But police moved in quickly. But it's not only buyers who are concerned. Now we have lots of layoffs here. So the laid-off employees worry that their wages will not be paid. Many are hoping the Chinese government will step in to bail out Evergrande, fearing a collapse could mean they'll never get to live in the homes they purchased. Laura Bardamanli, Al Jazeera. Yeah, unfortunately, I think um, that this was or is probably one of the first dominoes that we see falling and uh, yeah that will probably affect other economies other industries other countries and uh, maybe uh, at the end of the day the global economy i hope not but um, when we keep in mind that china is at the end of the day um, at least for the us and big parts of the world um, yes as the workshop or the the manufacturing um, nation of the world um, basically over the last decades um, yeah we, well, there was a big dependency created from a lot of western nations um, meaning they could produce a lot of their products um, very cheaply in china therefore outsourced a lot of their production a lot of their supply chain there and um, yeah that is what we kind of seeing now meaning um, yeah all these effects are accumulating and of course um, yeah when China is the world's manufacturing defaults and they produce um, all our or a big part of our daily goods and products then um, of course that will then um, yeah affect the supply chains and then um, with maybe some delay also other economies um, for example yeah when we look um, at the freight rates right now meaning at the Baltic freight um, index for this year and then you can see at the beginning of this year um, yeah it cost around 2500 3000 us dollar to um, yeah ship a 40 foot container and then at the yeah during this year at the beginning of this year meaning at your know, middle of this year and may basically uh, the rates uh, started to increase uh, yeah and now we're basically seeing you know, four times um, the price that we saw a year ago, meaning um, yeah, it's extremely expensive um, right now to ship any freight um, yeah, 
on the globe, meaning logistics is uh, yeah, a kind of nightmare right now. Therefore, um, yeah, the global supply chain crisis that we are facing right now is, I think, a symptom of, of that has many, um, yeah, many sources or many reasons, um, and this kind of part of the whole equation. Therefore, um, yeah, let's talk really quick about the global supply chain crisis because I think, um, yeah, that will continue um, yeah, to follow us over the next years and especially um, yeah, if you're operating a company um, that will be probably or that yeah, in the production um, that will be probably one of the biggest um, yeah, struggles over the next years. Times' Trade Secrets Newsletter. There's been a perfect storm of factors, really. Some are pandemic-related, some are more longer-term. Most of the time, we spend our income on services. We go out to the pictures, to concerts, to restaurants. That hasn't been happening so much. So what's happened instead is that we're spending more on consumer durables. And overwhelmingly, those consumer durables reach us via container ship from abroad. And that's putting a lot of pressure on the logistics industry. Immediately, what you had in the early months of the pandemic was a complete shutdown. That involved not only places like restaurants and concert venues, but also factories. You can't be as productive necessarily as you were pre-pandemic when you have COVID restrictions in place. So less staff would come in. A lot of staff were also off because you know they either were sick themselves. I think we've also seen a lot of people wanting to change careers during the pandemic, and I think that is having an impact on supply chains too. A lot of people don't want to be truck drivers anymore or work in warehouses. It's led to quite a profound rethink, and that has left the industry really short of, short of workers at times too. your business a lot more efficient if you're only getting the goods exactly when you need to use them. The problem with that is that there's no spare capacity or what economists like to call slack in the system. The convenience that we enjoyed and you know still have been enjoying for a certain extent that might change a little bit in the in the years ahead. Yeah, that's uh, a quick recap, one of the many reasons why we have the 
global supply chain crisis um, at the moment right now. Um, and the next part of the equation in my eyes um, that we can see again that is kind of accumulating here um, is kind of energy crisis uh, that we are seeing unfolding right now. Um, yeah, climate change um, is a big topic and one of the biggest challenges uh, maybe of our generation and therefore a big part of that equation is yeah, energy production, energy consumption um, and so on. And um, yeah, during again the, the last few months and I think during this year um, we have seen that uh, yeah, partially critical infrastructure um, fails. For example, we saw that in the US uh, where power grids in Texas um, yeah, collapsed or didn't work. Um, and uh, we also see that in China right now where literally um, yeah, whole provinces or whole cities, whole sectors um, get shut down and taken off the grid to yeah, uh, feed other uh, sectors um, with, the, with the energy and reroute that basically to make sure yeah, that uh, vital infrastructure is still working, that uh, corporations, companies uh, can still produce and so on. And um, yeah, therefore, I think that will be, yeah, again, is one of the, the other or more dominoes um, that I personally see in the in the real world um, economics. Uh, uh, yeah, where we now see the the effects of the of the pandemic of the last two years really piling up and uh, yeah, really um, threatening uh, existential infrastructure. So um, yeah, here comes a short clip about uh, how the energy crisis in China looks like right now. It's not even about Evergrande these days now. It's about this power crunch. How quickly are things escalating? It's a new shock. It's the last thing manufacturers needed, Yvonne. We've spoken to several in recent days and they explain on the one hand their factories have either been shut down, told to stop production completely, or have been told when it does come back on stream it will be on a quota basis, maybe two, three days a week. And what they're saying is it will impact their ability to meet their orders, to get their goods shipped. There's some, in fact, have told us they're even turning down orders now from overseas customers. So when you consider what's happening with shipping, with the prices for raw materials, now you throw in what's happening with electricity. It's probably the last thing that the manufacturers needed. And we're seeing more economists come through and downgrading their growth forecast for this year. Goldman Sachs saying, look, it's going to be zero growth for the third quarter. What sort of drag are we expecting for the economy? We are expecting a material hit to growth. There's no doubt about it, Yvonne. Manufacturing and exports has been one of the key support pillars of the recovery. We are seeing investment houses now downgrade that outlook. You have this electricity shock on the one hand. You have what's going on with the broader crackdown on real estate on the other. And, of course, a generally sort of slow approach to rolling out extra support for the economy. They, that's kind of dragging on things. However, it should be said, we don't yet know the full impact of this electricity issue because some producers seem to be getting around it. Our own reporting said, for example, some suppliers for Apple are mm. getting, continue to get their power supplies, so they're getting some preferential treatment. So it's clearly a negative, but the full extent of how this electricity issue plays out isn't yet clear. And it's adding to the inflation concerns right now, why we're seeing, partly why we're seeing this bond sell-off as well. Well, certainly, there's no doubt about it. And these producers say they scream every time we speak to them in terms of the price they have to pay mm. for shipping, the price they pay for the raw materials, and they say they will have to pass on some of those prices. Yeah, this is the current situation in China. And uh, 
yeah, as you uh, probably know, I'm from Germany, may, uh, meaning, yeah, that we also have a yeah, big or increasing energy crisis here in Europe. It started a few months ago um, in the UK, again, Ireland, bigger logistic uh, problems than, uh, than in the rest of the European Union. And um, yeah, that pretty much also becomes a geopolitical um, problem or, or yeah, situation right now, meaning uh, yeah, North Stream 2, that pipeline between Russia and uh, Europe and Germany. Um, and uh, yeah, this is one part of the equation. And then on the other hand, I heard that to kind of help Europe with their energy crisis and with their lack of gas, the US sent a fleet of yeah, big gas tankers um, on the way to, to Europe a few days, a few weeks ago to kind of um, yeah, soften the blow. Um, but yeah, um, watch by yourself um, how the current energy crisis in Europe looks like. Europe is headed into the new year while weathering a serious energy crisis. Electricity prices are up over 900% in countries like Germany year over year as demand surges while supply continues to decrease. France delayed much-needed maintenance at nuclear power plants at the height of the pandemic, and many plants are now either going offline or are already offline, causing a spike in prices. It's so bad in France right now that the country has resorted to burning fuel oil to produce electricity at rates last seen nearly two decades ago, as the exporter of electricity has now turned to importing to do whatever it can to keep the lights on in the city of lights during the new year. Adding to the perfect storm in energy, generation from wind is down to multi-year lows, while imports of natural gas can't meet the demand just as Europe and gas exporter Russia face off over the Ukraine. It appears Europe may have to decide between confronting Russia or heat during what's going to shape up to be an exceptionally cold winter. What will they decide? I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, you heard it up to 900% uh, increase in energy and uh, yeah, electricity prices. Um, Germany already has or had uh, yeah, the most expensive um, electricity prices in the world. I think Jamaica comes second or third. So welcome to the club of the, of the top five most expensive uh, countries when it comes to electricity. Um, yeah. and. In my opinion, uh, one of the reasons uh, is because yeah, Germany um, decided uh, yeah, almost a decade ago after uh, Fukushima to basically shut down all their um, nuclear power plants, uh, which of course uh, yeah, provides one of the main um, base supply um, of electricity. And um, yeah, because of different policies uh, in, in Europe or different parts of the world uh, to fight climate change um yeah that didn't work in a perfect sense and now obviously we have uh, gaps um, or not enough energy production electricity production to uh, meet all the demand and therefore uh, yeah prices are exploding so um yeah i think that uh, is also a development that we have to monitor very closely all right, so let's um, yeah recap 
everything a little bit and um, yeah, let's, let's have an outlook in 2022. Um, yeah, if that was uh, helpful so far, um, let me know, use the comment section, use the chat function or um, yeah, leave a like, hit the thumbs up button, the like button, whatnot, that always helps the channel and this show. So what do I think um, 2022 will bring? Um, I think we will see on the one hand um, an increase of growth of digital technology um, in general, meaning um, yeah, everything from a te technological side, from a digital side will probably um, grow, will um, yeah, take bigger parts of our life in any shape or form, meaning we will spend more time in front of a screen, we will spend more time online, more time on social media, in the metaverse, um, we will buy more stuff online, e-commerce more online, crypto, blockchain, payments, all of that. I think, um, yeah, this uh, will really accelerate over the next years and, um, yeah, even more in 2022. Again, I think the, the whole pandemic kind of, uh, yeah, put fuel on the fire here and uh, really yeah, accelerate, accelerated technologies that we otherwise would have seen in five or 10 years. Now, really, we are seeing them already today. So I'm quite uh, positive from, from that perspective, meaning from a digital uh, yeah, technology, art and whatnot perspective. I think um, yeah, everything in that space will probably continue to grow on an average and global scale, of course. Um, where I'm kind of a little pessimistic or, or, or bearish or however you want to call it is more the, how do you say that, the real world economy. Meaning, yeah, we just talked about all the situation, all the problems that we have on a global scale. Meaning, um, we have on the one hand the, the supply chain uh, crisis, um, which will or already causes um, inflation, or at least partially causes um, inflation. Meaning, um, yeah, on the one hand, uh, the central banks, the governments are printing money um, to, uh, yeah, to finance all the, the, the stimulus checks and all the programs to to fight the pandemic, um, which yeah, just devalues the existing fiat currencies, which then leads to inflation. Meaning on the one hand, people realize, hey, my money um, becomes worth less and less. I can buy um, yeah, fewer goods and services um, every month. And um, yeah, on the other hand, the demand of goods uh, because of the supply chain situation um, decreases, meaning yeah, even if I have the money, um, the goods might not be available or yeah, with long delivery times um, and whatnot. So I think that will be will be the starting point. Um, when we then see that that higher um, inflation, which of course uh, affects the, the end consumer at the end of the day, and uh, yeah, is a tax on on the poor people or people that that only can hold cash and yeah, cannot hold other assets or other inflation protected assets. Um, and then that will raise the question, okay, how are the central banks, how are the governments going to fight um, inflation? And um, yeah, from an economic, uh, or when I look at that as an economist, um, the yeah, standard practice would be to raise um, the interest rates. For example, um, yeah, these are the interest rates of the 
European Central Bank over the last uh, 20 years, and we see, all right, over the last five years, basically, um, we are on a zero level, meaning yeah, money is free and super cheap. Um, on the same note, um, these are the interest rates um, of the Fed, of the um, Federal Reserve in the US. Meaning, just to show you, we are basically on a zero interest rate um, level right now. And um, what usually um, would be a very easy thing now for a lot of uh, central banks to just increase um, the interest rates, um, meaning yeah, shorten the money supply and fight uh, inflation that way. Um, because if you don't do that, for example, um, if you look at uh, Turkey, um, their president uh, Erdogan there um, yeah, basically controls uh, yeah, the central bank and therefore he uh, dictates the policy there and he decided um, to do um, exactly the opposite meaning they have a very high inflation rate there the the lira the local currency is devaluing yeah extremely um every every month um and, and people fleeing in, in other uh, currencies meaning in the us dollar but he is um yeah lowering the the interest rates and uh, therefore uh, yeah just accelerates um, basically inflation and the, the collapse of the economy there. So um, yeah, therefore, um, the standard practice for the Fed or for the European Central Bank would be to raise inflation rates, uh, not inflation rates, would uh, to raise interest rates to fight um, inflation. Uh, and again, the European Central Bank says okay, 2% inflation per year is roughly what they say is stable. They changed that uh, over the years a little bit uh, and yeah, accept a little higher inflation rates now just from the wording that they are using. But generally speaking, around 2% is considered a stable inflation rate. Um, the dilemma that the, US, well, that the central banks are in general is that they cannot raise the interest rates um, that easily because, um, yeah, and that's basically our inheritance from the 2008 financial crisis is that still a lot of the um, yeah uh, a lot of countries are still highly in debt and um, yeah kind of fed off the, the low interest rates over the last uh, decade or so and that basically prevented them for um, yeah defaulting on their bond payments that they have to do but um, especially when you look at a lot of the yeah, South European, countries or just in general um yeah ask yourself could your country that you are living in um still yeah make their bond payments still make their debt payments when they raise the interest rate to one percent two percent three percent maybe maybe five percent and that's not even much that's just you know, historic uh, average these rates um that would then mean that um you know a lot of countries a lot of states now have to refinance themselves for double triple maybe quadruple um, the interest rates um, that or yeah, the interest payments that they made before, meaning it becomes way more expensive for a lot of uh, countries to borrow money to, yeah, to, to finance uh, the state, the social programs, the infrastructure and whatnot. And uh, therefore, I have my doubts if the central banks are actually able and will actually raise the interest rates to, um, yeah, to fight inflation. So therefore, I think what we maybe already seeing right now and maybe 
seeing over the next uh, years and maybe in 2022 is a kind of form uh, of, of yeah, inflation on the one hand and stagnation on the other hand, uh, what we then call stagflation, meaning we have an inflationary, inflationary um, environment, meaning value uh, money loses uh, its value over time and yeah, that accelerates uh, more and more um, and uh, products are in high demand on the one hand. And then on the other hand, uh, we have the situation that uh, yeah, the economic situation is kind of stagnating, um, that we see maybe high growth in, in certain areas, again, maybe the tech space, digital space and whatnot, um, but other areas um, yeah, are basically flatlining or um, yeah, maybe even declining. For example, um, yeah, I mentioned a lot of the risk, especially, for example, uh, in China that we are seeing right now that can easily um, yeah, cause these kind of domino effects. So, um, yeah, that's basically my prediction for um, 2022. Again, I think um, that a lot of the technologies that we saw evolving this year, crypto, blockchain, NFT, or at least not evolving, but kind of entering the, the public um, mind or became a lot more mainstream technologies like, like Starlink um, and whatnot. Um, yeah, everything around digital, everything that has to do with the internet, with technology, with Web3 will grow and um, yeah, will, will prosper in, in my eyes. Uh, and again, everything around um, yeah, real-world um, economics, supply chain, um, interest rates, debt, real estate markets, and so on. Um, yeah, I am rather, yeah, not pessimistic, but um, pessimistic, but at least um, careful. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope that uh, again, that we didn't use up all the buffer that we had over the last two years. All right, that being said, um, yeah, I think I touched pretty much on, um, yeah, on all the topics that I wanted to talk about. Um, I for sure um, yeah, forgot or missed one or two points, but nonetheless, um, yeah, I hope that was beneficial for you. I hope, um, yeah, you learned a thing or two. Um, is there any question you have, any other topic um, that you might want to talk about? Um, if that's the case, then now is the chance to use the chat or the comment section. Again, I'm always happy for any like or any thumbs up that you leave here that always helps the channel and uh, yeah, helps the show to grow. Of course, if you haven't done so as yet, make sure to connect with me on LinkedIn. And uh, depending on where you're watching that, uh, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel. That's usually the best platform uh, yeah, to watch our content, to get notified uh, whenever I go live and whenever we release or upload a new video. Okay, cool. Looks like everybody is uh, yeah satisfied satisfied with the input we got today so far. So yeah, thanks for joining me. I hope you had a great year, two thousand and twenty-one. I hope the year two thousand and twenty-two um, yeah will become even better. And uh, yeah, hopefully 
we don't make the same mistake than or same mistakes than last year. That being said, have a great day, great week, and I hope to see you next year. All the best. Stay safe. Bye-bye.